We really are depending on you to be successful in your job, because if you're successful in your job, the company that hired you will want to hire more people in your situation. And that will help more people at the shelter get out. And then the more people that get out of the shelter, the more people can get off the street and into the shelter. Welcome to Acton Line, a product of the Acton Institute for the Study of Religion and Liberty. I'm Eric Cohn, executive producer. In today's episode, I talk with Father Marco Janovic and Rebecca Feifelski, who together run Better Way Detroit, a nonprofit working with the homeless population of Detroit, Michigan. Better Way Detroit engages, pays, feeds, and counsels homeless persons and connects them to services for housing, medical and mental health care, and stable employment opportunities. In return, Better Way Detroit participants help community organizations like St. Vincent de Paul Detroit and Detroit Goodfellows serve the underserved. During the summer months, they also help clean Detroit parks and neighborhoods of trash and overgrowth to help make them safer. Through their efforts, Better Way Detroit participants inspire community spirit, pride of ownership, and confidence in the dignity of work. While serving as participants, they also mentor them so that they can best help them find permanent employment after their service. You can find additional resources in the show notes for this episode, as well as find previous episodes of Acton Line on our website at acton.org slash actonline. And if you like this program, you can help us reach even more listeners by sharing it with a friend and leaving us a five-star review on Apple Podcasts. We welcome your comments as well. Acton Line is available on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen. Father Marco Janovic and Rebecca Feifelski, welcome to Act in Line. Well, thank you. Glad thank to be here. Thank you. Wonderful to be here. Thank you. So let's start. Tell us about Better Way Detroit, how it came to be, and what you guys do. It just started with me having, a, I guess, an idea of recruiting men that are experiencing homelessness in the city of Detroit and giving them the opportunity to work for pay. So we started off with them cleaning the parks. At that time, uh, the mayor of Detroit, Mayor Michael Duggan, had a Adopt the Parks program. And so there was a great need with with the parks to clean it. And um, I began recruiting, again, uh, homeless men that are experiencing homelessness I was doing this once a week, uh, spending the majority of the day with them. And uh, I found it very beneficial. In the beginning, it was all about money. They would ask me, how much uh, money are you going to give me? Uh, Then at the end of the day, when I asked them, what was your experience? It was never about money. It was, uh, we really enjoyed this opportunity to get out of the toxic homeless culture they appreciate the opportunity to work to work outside, to use their hands, to use their muscles, to uh, do something good for the community. That was that made uh, a few men mention and they just enjoyed seeing uh, f- families at the children at the park and and them knowing that they contributed to the cleanliness of the park. Um, 
warm their hearts. So I did this beginning, it was, to be honest, uh, <laughs> from my pocket. And though I did have a few, a few friends assist me with some money. And um, then I asked uh, a good friend of mine, who's the former president of Better Way Detroit, Michael Kotwick, wonderful man. He's been in the production business for over 30 years and he created a video. Uh, he, he visited me two, three times while I was at work with the men experiencing homelessness. And then um, created a beautiful video, which is on the website. And then we shared it with the Archbishop, Archbishop Alan Vigneron. He was touched by the video and gave us a donation. And then from there, we gained, we gained some publicity. With that publicity, I was able to uh, gain some more donations. And with that, with the donations, I was able to do this now um, multiple times a week. And we began to go beyond simply cleaning parks. We were cleaning many of the blighted neighborhoods. And that was a, a good experience. Uh, many of the longtime residents in these neighborhoods were so grateful to the men uh, that were working with, with Better Way Detroit. Um, you know, so they didn't, it was, a, it was a very contrasting experience to their time in the shelter. When they're at the shelter, they, they receive, they were just merely recipients, recipients of socks, uh, gift cards, food, um, you know, hygiene products. Uh, but here they're contributors to society. They're contributors, they're givers, they're, they're helping the community. And, and so uh, uh, the, the residents were, we're, we're just showing them so much great respect and gratitude for their for their hard work, um, offering them lunch, uh, thank, thanking them. Thank you, sir, so much for the work you've been you did for us, and that just really made them feel good. I could tell they they expressed to me that they just felt really good about this experience. It definitely uh, boosted up their morale because again, that tox that homeless culture is toxic it is is greatly depressing and increases one's stress and anxiety so then the next step was wow these these gentlemen can work and mind you i had a few women but again probably 90 over 95 percent men and i said these men can work let's find them jobs so I started to help them find work in, in restaurants, uh, speaking with um, restaurant owners, and they were very kind and generous and offering them the opportunity to, to work uh, as dishwashers, um, one, as a cook. One of them, I remember, got a cook. Uh, we, I was connected with some small business owners in construction business, uh, cleaning. There was another um, uh Pro, um, it's called Hollingsworth Company. They they were excellent to me in hiring uh, the men experiencing homelessness. And so with that, I just but um, it was so this this Better Way Detroit program was really developing. But while it was definitely a learning curve, I learned a lot of the men, particularly guys that are coming from coming out of prison things that maybe 
uh, us who have been in the workforce for 20, 30 years, um, it's common sense to us, maybe not so much for them. So I, what I realized is they needed a mentoring. The, uh, the men needed some guidance, support as they began their new job. Um, then uh, COVID hit and I was not able to have seven homeless men in my SUV crunched up anymore. <laughs> and so we were shut down during, uh, literally shut down. But during that time we were grouped and we really, uh, with our board, discuss um, new ways and how to um, uh, employ the, the men of Better Way Detroit. And we created a newfound relationship with St. Vincent de Paul. So St. Vincent de Paul had a great, great need. They, especially after COVID, they had received so many donations, um, especially, you know, during the COVID shutdown, everybody uh, was uh, decluttering at that, it seemed like. And um, so they needed somebody, they needed help for sorting all these donated items. And so that's what we have now. We 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 had the the men the men and now women a better way Detroit because now we work with more women than we did before. And we have to thank uh, our new operations manager, Keanu Bates, for that. And now they they work at Saint Vincent de Paul. They sort items uh, and tag them uh, for for Saint Vincent de Paul. Also, we. We collaborate with Goodfellas. This is a, a, a very well-known nonprofit in the city of Detroit. Uh, they, they've been around since, you know, since like, oh, well, at least oh, over a century. And again, they, they package, sort for Goodfellas. And also we've continued, we've, we've begun to uh, re-engage the city with blight work. Also recently we had the men clean a, do beautiful landscaping work at, at a Catholic school in Northwest Detroit. And we continue, most importantly, we continue to um, help the, the men and women find full-time employment. And that's, we're doing very well in that regard. Um, uh, I mean, yeah, so I'll stop there. I could keep going. <laughs> sure. How long have you been in Detroit? I've been a priest here in the city of Detroit for six years. So the first four years were in the suburbs and then first four years and now for the the past six years in the city. What was the impetus for this idea? Did you have a lot of interaction with the the homeless community in Detroit that really showed to you the need for a program like this. And and for our listeners, uh, many of whom are here in Michigan, but are all over the country and some all over the world, talk to us a little bit about um, the homelessness problem in Detroit uh, that that kind of you're experiencing and are working to uh, with these people to help uh, get them into your program and then get them work experience and then gainful employment. So talk about the where you got the idea from and um, the general lay of the land in, in Detroit right now. Once I uh, began living in Detroit, I couldn't I began to encounter uh, homeless more so on a regular basis. Um, I was 
uh, living at a parish with a gentleman named Norbert Kidd, one of the most saintly men I've ever met in my life. And he had been in, uh, very engaged with the homeless population for, for years, decades. And so when I was living with him at this parish, well, I'm sorry, he didn't live there. He worked, he volunteered there. I was living with two other priests at this place that Norbert Kidd volunteered with. But there would be a lot of homeless uh, um, and gentlemen that are homeless um, visiting the parish. So I encountered a lot of a lot of them. And and uh, one I remember one specific significant uh, encounter. A gentleman came to me during a, a very, very cold winter um, asking for long johns. And of course, I'm going to give him these long johns. Yet. I told him, how about this? Uh, can I, have, I have some work to do in the church. Could you help me? And, I'm, and I'll pay you for the work that I, uh, for the work you do. So we worked together in the church, uh, moving some items, cleaning about an hour and a half. And during that time, I got to know him. I built a relationship with him. I found out he was living in an abandoned house that he had been in prison for almost 30 years, that he had been taking all sorts of prescription drugs, particularly for for his mental illness. Um, I discovered a lot about him during that, as we were working together. And then uh, once after that hour and a half of work, I, I gave him money for the long johns. And uh, so... I saw that how um, this, instead of just simply giving him a handout, this opportunity of, of, of kind of, of this exchange, between, uh, this exchange between me and him of you work with me and I'll pay you, brought about uh, such fruit, a good fruit of me understanding what's his situation, truly what his needs were. And so with that, the next step was I was able to connect him with a, um, uh, a counselor that works at a homeless agency. We found we were able to help him finally obtain a um, state-funded housing, and he no longer had to live in this terrible, terrible um, abandoned house, and. Um, he eventually, he, after living there maybe four, three, four months in the um, in this new apartment, uh, he passed away. But I was able to do his. I did his funeral. It was it just it just that really touched me, and I just saw the and the need. We've got to we've got to look at our approach to um, those who are suffering from homelessness, a, a different approach than just simply handouts. And definitely that experience would be, uh, was uh, a very important experience in, in, for me in, in, in taking this to the next level. Becca, tell us about uh, how you became involved with Better Way Detroit and, and what you do with the organization. So about 12 months ago, um, which would have been in early 22, um, I retired from work and um, I had always wanted to be more involved with community in the church. 
And so I talked with the deacon at my church in uh, Northville, which is a suburb of Detroit. And I said, hey, how can I get more involved? And I thought he would recommend something at our you know, parish in, in my neighborhood. But he said, hey, um, we have a priest in Detroit and he's running an absolutely great mission, but he needs help. And with your experience in industry, you could really bring a lot to the organization and help him out and keep it running and help as many people as possible. So I connected with Father Marco and the then President Mike and um, started volunteering. I would meet with the groups at uh, St. Vincent de Paul and we would work together. And so I could get to know the clients and the participants, get to know our operations manager. And then after a little while, um, the, the existing board asked me to join the board. And then um, the existing president had some um, health issues. So they asked if I could take over as, as president of the board. So that kind of got me more involved and um, it's been a great learning experience. Father Marco, you had mentioned earlier the uh, the toxicity of the homelessness culture that exists in Detroit. Talk about that. Um, what is what is it like? What is life day in and day out like for people who are experiencing homelessness? And what are the challenges that that culture uh, puts up against them in trying to escape from that trap? See, definitely the drugs are 24 seven available. Uh, whenever my experiences, wherever shelters are, there's drug dealers and, and uh, yeah, drug. So if you're, and the, many of the, you know, many of the men have some experience, have backgrounds of drug addiction. So they, when they come to the shelter, uh, stress immediately stress and anxiety increases um you have rules you've got um you have to deal with various personalities that you're living with some of them are are uh, um, very aggressive rude you want to escape so definitely every, no one wants to no one wants to be in a shelter no one um that's definitely uh, uh, the ex sentiments of everyone across the board that are, that are in the shelters. So that definitely is, um, those, those are the things that come to mind when I think of, um, the toxicity of culture, of the homeless culture. Uh, well, one of the, one of the things I've noticed along that vein in, in talking with people that are living in the shelters is, um, if you have a shelter, you have a large collection of independent people in one place, there has to be rules. And they are trying to reduce the stress and they are trying to counsel people on how to get back into um, a working environment and home ownership. And so there there's a lot of rules. You have to be home at this point. You have to eat dinner at this point. You have to attend certain classes. And, and you know, as grown adults, sometimes that can be a little bit stressful when you're used to a little more freedom and not kind of being treated as a child. Not, and I'm not saying it's a bad thing. I'm just saying it's kind of what you have to do to keep a shelter safe, you know, but but that's difficult for adults. You know, it was an interesting thing was a lot, you find men in the shelters that want to work. For example, they will, or they will um, pass out handbills, for example, or people will come to the shelters and offer them opportunity to work, yet, May, what I what they've told me is some they people have only paid them like five dollars an hour for their work or they made them do some 
very, uh, uh, to say the least, distasteful jobs. And so they really appreciate when when we were we mean we would offer them opportunity for pay because it was they were felt respected they were paid at least minimum wage. That um, we provide lunch. Yeah, we provide lunch. Counseling. Yes, it's a very respectful environment. Yeah. We build. We try to build a brotherhood, sisterhood amongst the others. How prevalent do you find uh, instances of mental illness among the community? You talked about drug addiction being a problem. Do you find um, people with uh, either untreated or undiagnosed mental issues uh, also show up? And and how you know how do we serve those people in the best possible way? What I've found out is what I've experienced is people yeah struggle with mental illness. Yeah, they if. If they are on receiving the proper care, um, definitely from the medical professionals, but also um, having that, this is why it's important for we 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 uh, we're adamant about having mentors for each of our Better Way Detroit clients. Um, that mentor, that person you can rely on, talk to about your 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 struggles is is important but just you know there are some definitely there are some uh, um, forms of mental illness that truly can uh, stop someone from working but we found there are many um, forms of mental illness that still give one uh, an ability to work well and it helps them cope with their mental illness by working yeah in in um Clinics that I've attended on education on homelessness, um, I've heard the statistic that as many as 80% of the people that are in homeless shelters are experiencing um, emotional issues uh, and possibly even being you know, treated by a doctor. Now, in my experience with our clients, I haven't seen that high level of occurrence, and it possibly could be because, first of all, I'm not a trained doctor, so I can't really recognize um you know, emotional issues, they, the people might also already be on medication. But then also, you know, we're working with people that are at shelters and have been referred by the shelter. So they're kind of helping us screen. And then the other thing is we do, though, we, we definitely have experience. We had people in our program where we say, OK, we can see there's an emotional issue here and we can actually work with the state. We have a partner in, the, you know, that works for the state and um, they'll help us get medical care for that person. They have particular jobs that they'll line people up with. Um, if we have people that we see have cognitive issues, the state has particular um, employment opportunities. So we, we do work with partners and we also work with um, clinics. When we see somebody cannot function in their job and we know it's drug related, we'll try to get them into rehab. And so we've had a few instances of that. The uh, social scientist, Arthur Brooks, I, I think he may have been the first one I heard talk about this idea of uh, earned success and the importance of earned success uh, to those of us in the working world. And the point that Arthur would always make is, you know, we you can find lawyers who make, you know, hundreds of thousands of dollars a year and are miserable because they don't find 
meaning and reward in the work that they're doing. And you can find people who make what you know uh, the average person may consider to be just a very small sum of money, but they find the work that they do meaningful and impactful and, and that it makes a difference. And the way that we feel about our work as a result of that affects the way that we feel uh, internally about ourselves. Um, have, have you seen that phenomenon uh, in getting the opportunities for these people who have experienced homelessness uh, to work, to earn some success, uh, and for many people to perhaps get back entered into the workforce? Uh, what impact have you seen that that has on the people who experience your program? Uh, yeah. Well, I know one example would be um, one of our clients that um, has been in permanent employment now for a year. So she was in our program last summer, and then she was able to, um, we helped her get a position at a company in light manufacturing. And at her year anniversary, we kind of had a, a little reception and said, hey, you get an award, you've been in full-time employment for a year. And um, as she put it, she said she was just so thrilled to be in a stable environment where she could work and she could pay her own bills. And she, she felt so valued. She she goes, I didn't know I could even get to a point in my life like this. And she goes, and I, I wouldn't have got there without you guys giving me the confidence and the love to get to that point. Um, I thank you. That's true. I think um, I remember uh, we call a gentleman uh, early on, one of the first ones that I helped obtain a job. And it was a it was in the 60s and uh, I helped him get a job as a as a dishwasher and uh, I recall him ask, asking after a couple of weeks at work at his new job I said so how are you doing and then he says I'm in heaven I wake up every day go to go take the bus arrive at work at 9 a.m uh, leave work 5 p.m take the bus home take a shower watch a little tv go to sleep do the same thing again I'm in heaven he doesn't have to, um, why heaven? Because he doesn't have to depend on anyone, doesn't have to, um, like he did before. I mean, we all have to depend on each other, but but like he did before, he was, um, he doesn't carry, his life doesn't carry so much uncertainty. His anxiety level has decreased, stress level. Um, he enjoys his work environment. He works hard. I think you get for, I mean, everyone, everyone appreciates the opportunity to work. It, you could tell, you could see in their body a, um, just some more energy in their body. I, that's what I said when they start working. Um, even a smile, <laughs> you, you see it in their body, a change when they're working. Yeah, I, I remember a story that uh, Arthur Brooks had told about, I think it was an organization in New York where um, uh, the, the gentleman who had experienced homelessness that he was describing uh, was work, doing janitorial work, I think, for a, a school, and Arthur's talking to him. And what he proudly showed Arthur was this text from his boss saying, like, you know, there'd been some kind of an accident, he needed to clean something up, and the text he got from his boss was, I need you. And he said that was so incredibly meaningful to him, that feeling of being needed, um, of being 
not just helping out, but knowing that the person he was working with needed him, that he had an important role there. Uh, I can only imagine the kind of um, a personal and spiritual fulfillment that you you get from that, especially if it had been lacking from your life for so long, which I imagine has to be true for people who've experienced homelessness, like the kind of people that that, uh, that your mission is working with. And another thing I received from the men is they, they thank me that I have confidence in them that they can work because they don't sometimes think they have confidence that they can truly be employed. Um, yeah. So that, that's a, and I remember a, a gentleman who had a, uh, an offense, uh, um, a criminal record that just held him back from obtaining employment. And he kind of gave up. He just tried this place, tried that place. And then we helped him find a job and he just, he, he was like a new man, <laughs> liberated. Yeah. And we, we also try to reinforce that dependence on each other as part of our program. When we tell people in the program is said, so we really are depending on you to be successful in your job. Because if you're successful in your job, the company that hired you will want to hire more people in your situation. And that will help more people at the shelter get out. And then the more people that get out of the shelter, the more people can get off the street and into the shelter, you know, because that's the first step is get off the street. And um, but a lot of times there isn't space in the shelters. So we, we tell our clients, hey, if, if you're succeeding in getting out of the shelter, that helps somebody get off the street and, and, and on the path to healing because it is a long path. It's not one step. It's many steps, and and they're part of that. You know, getting everybody along that path. Have you found it difficult at all to identify identify employers who are uh, willing to uh, take on some of the people that you work with? And uh, if if that is indeed the case, uh, what would you like people in positions out there to uh, make hiring decisions to know about um, the people that you work with and uh, the opportunity that they present for for those employers? What what would be helpful in breaking down some of those barriers that prevent employers from engaging in that kind of second chance hiring? We, one thing I like what we do now is uh, we, we have this group. So, um, so let's say you have a group of six, seven, and they will stay with us for about four weeks. So we get to know them. uh, We build uh, trust. They, uh, we get to know where they're at regarding their ability to work. What are what are some uh, things they need to life adjustments they need to make? So we we there is a kind of a, a vetting process. We try to vet as much as we can, um, and also we assign them a mentor. So once they begin working, it's, it's very important that they have somebody uh, assigned. We, we call it a mentor that they can talk to, that can assist them with any challenges they have at the workplace, whether it's with employee, their fellow employees or, or, or the employer. Yep. So there's, there, you're getting also, they're getting somebody that's been working at least, you know, three, four weeks that's that, working with us. So by the time he's, he or she begins their employment at this new place, full-time employment, they, they've been working already. So you, you're, we have somebody that's prepared. We've prepared somebody to begin 
entering the workforce. Yeah. Yeah. And I would say it's not that hard finding companies that are willing to hire because in the economy we're in right now, um, people really need employees. It's harder um, finding a good fit that is permanent and getting people to stay in that position where they don't run into problems with childcare or uh, transportation or um, just emotional issues. And, and so that I would say is our problem isn't finding its employers. If we had to say, okay, what would I ask of an employer that is working with us? I would say you have to, first of all, understand you know, what situation you're getting into. This isn't just your normal situation of hiring somebody who's, you know, um, had normal life situation that, you know, we, I would ask that the employer be a little bit more patient, be a little more accommodating of someone having to handle personal issues and, and know that this is a service that this isn't just for the employer to have an employee. It's, you know, Understand you're giving a little to the community here to help out a problem. And, and it, it, the employers that go in with that mindset, that they're a little more patient, a little more understanding, willing to work together and stay in constant con- communication with us, because that way the mentor can kind of coach them through issues. Maybe if they're having, um, you know, some disagreements at work, you know, help them get through that without just quitting. So, you know, long term engagement, understanding that that goes a long way. I think that dovetails into the next question I wanted to ask you, which is what what are the biggest challenges you face in furthering the work of Better Way Detroit? I'll be honest. I think uh, funding. Yeah. <laughs> the funding yeah. is our biggest challenge. <laughs> because, I mean, because we're in a situation where we're actually paying, you know, mm-hmm. I mean, we, we, we provide salary to homeless people. Now it's only four weeks at a time. But I mean, if you're going to provide a salary to somebody, if you're going to let somebody have the dignity of work, you have to follow the laws and on unemployment insurance, you know, or you have to pay taxes. You have to, yeah. So, so the funding for that, and, and we have to have an operations manager that manages, you know, it trains them on the job and is there setting up the cohort, setting up the mentors. It's, it's a pretty structured program. And um, mm-hmm. so funding, but the number two is then of course, volunteers, um, we have volunteers that make lunch for us, so we don't have to buy food. We have volunteers that um, are just on site to provide more support and and help, you know, build a build a loving environment where everybody gets attention. Yeah, a better way. Detroit was founded on being very thirsty. <laughs> being very what? Sorry, I was. I said better way. Detroit was founded on being very thrifty. Very thrifty, and we tried, and we've maintained that being very, very thrifty. But in order, I, I could not, when I was doing this uh, program in the beginning, um, we had almost zero administration costs. Yeah, um, in order, but this, and and with me now being definitely me being a, a, a moderator of five parishes in a school. Um, the, the Archdiocese of Detroit is going through a process of changing a model of how we do parish life. We, we adopted this family of parish model. So, you know, I'm, my time is, is gravely limited in how much I can uh, give to Better uh, Way Detroit, though I'm, I'm involved in it every week, but it's um, very limited. So in order for us to take it to the next level, we needed 
we needed an operations manager who's been fantastic, absolutely fantastic, helping us take it to the next level. And that's what it's all about, continuing to develop, take it to the next level, be innovative, be open to new ideas. Then that's very important uh, for the, the spirit of Better Way Detroit. Uh, I think here would be a good question to begin to wrap up on. What is that next level? What is next for Better Way Detroit? Where do you want to go now? Yeah, so our, our goal is like like one of the changes we made this year is instead of having a three-week program, we have a four-week program. And what that allowed us to do is get to know each person better and get them in a job that they would you know stay in longer. Um, but in making the program four weeks now, instead of helping maybe... 85 to 100 people in one year, we're helping like 60 people in one year. But the theory was more quality to over quantity. The next level would be if, if we can run two cohorts at the same time, if we can have the women at Goodfellow or, or St. Vincent de Paul, either one, uh, helping with the clothing and, and developing that store so they can provide for the community. And then the men at Goodfellow's packaging boxes um, or, or having another group out doing community service, um, you know, doing neighborhood cleanup. If we can do multiple cohorts, we can do more community service as well as get more people in our program. So, and then, and then the, and then the other element is that is additional shelters. Like we're working with shelters, three shelters in Detroit right now. If we could, um, also work with a shelter in Pontiac, we could also help the communities out, you know, in, in around Detroit. So that would be the point and help more people that are experiencing homelessness and get out to other shelters and services in the area. For people who are interested and want to learn more or perhaps want to uh, make a contribution or volunteer or get involved somehow, uh, how do they find you? How do they get in touch with you? Yeah, the best way is our website, you know, betterwaydetroit.org. Um, uh, we have an email. We can always be contacted by email. I uh, check the email pretty much every day. And then, um, yeah, so I would I would Google Better Way Detroit and it'll come up and you can get to our website. And from the website, it's kind of nice too, is you get the history of the organization, you get videos, you can hear from Father Marco, you know, why he started the organization. And then also um, there's um, a video on mentoring because a lot of people, maybe they work full time and they 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 can't come down on site. But mentoring is a 30-minute call, maybe even a 15-minute phone call, maybe even just three texts a week. You know what I mean? So you could do mentoring remotely. You could do it from anywhere and still make a big difference in the life of a person. So I always say, hey, if you can't come on site, if you can't cook food or drive, just make a phone call <laughs> and you'll be making a difference. <laughs> We'll include a link to uh, your website, betterwaydetroit.org, in the show notes for this episode. Father Marco Janovic and Rebecca Fifelski, thanks so much for joining us today on Act in Line. Thank you. Thank you. God bless you all. Thank you. As always, thank you for listening. Our team loves putting this podcast together for you. It's encouraging to hear from our listeners. Feedback is incredibly important to us because it lets us know what you'd like to hear more of, including the kinds of topics you're interested in most. If you have comments, feedback, or ideas for a show topic or interesting guest, you can email our team at producer at actin.org. Until next week, for Acton Line, 
I'm Eric Cohn. 